A word to the wise. This episode contains spoilers for the entire Half-Life franchise. Listener discretion is advised. On this week's episode of Electronic Fun, I'm joined by Arthritic Jester to dive deep into Valve's wildly influential Half-Life and the massive legacy it has left behind. So please, join me. Let's have some fun. humorous little fellow he's a kooky little character he is you know we, we've had a lot of we've we had some troubles with him in the past recording spotty signals but you know he's been he's he's been a, a stalwart pal uh especially now that he's he's mellowed out a little bit but yeah welcome back to uh electronic fun uh this episode we've got uh uh my good friend alex here Otherwise known as Arthritic Jester. Hey, hey, how, how, how you doing, Alex? And I'm Alex. Ah, oh, fuck, wrong show. I'm doing fuck. good. I just got home from a long shift at my job, and I'm ready to talk about video games. It's it's gonna be interesting. Uh, did you did you play through the game at all to like get your, get your mind ready for this? About halfway, yeah. I got uh, I got maybe maybe uh, a third to halfway done, and in the week I've been playing it, I've been playing on the hardest difficulty and in my free time. Which is exceedingly, exceedingly diminishing the the more projects I tack onto myself. But I played enough of it to refresh myself. Yeah, that, that's all you really need for this. Uh, but yeah, this week we're talking about the hit video game Half Life, uh, released in the year of our Lord nineteen ninety eight, which was a astoundingly productive year for games. A lot of really great games came out that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Resident Evil two. Uh, bunch of bunch of shit came out that did ocarina year. come out in 98 ocarina came out in 98 uh metal gear solid came out in 98 i keep forgetting Ooh. uh banjo kazooie parasite eve the first starcraft marvel versus capcom 1998 for games was like what 1994 was for music yeah it's like there's there's a there's a couple i've i've been, I've been interested in, in this idea of of landmark years in games there's like 98 uh 2007 was definitely one the very uh, next one i thought of yeah <laughs> uh 2013 i feel like was a big one as well uh but there there was a lot going on specifically in, in 98 and 97 as well to a lesser extent because that was mm-hmm. you know that was symphony of the night that was final fantasy 7 a lot of people uh, throw the word revolutionary around with when you talk about games like really really loosely but no it's it's really safe to say 98 was a revolutionary year for 3D in general with games. Games, of course, like all kinds of games, but really 3D is what really started to look less shitty in 98. The the late 90s really were just a hotbed of, of really revolutionary games. Uh, especially like this one. Like this one. Like 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 Half-Life. Uh, let, let's let's open up with the, the classic question I ask. I'm going to ask of all of my guests. Uh, who are you? How would you how would you sort of describe yourself, Alex? I a lot of people default to content creator, but I don't really create much content, to be honest with you. Um, 
Jackson said he was a niche internet micro celebrity. Yeah, I guess that's fair, but uh, even more niche, I guess. Uh, you got to be really into Spider Man if you've if you've heard of old arthritic jester. No, I um by day I I work in custom framing. I I make picture frames for people that bring me their shit. Uh, I play a lot of games. I I'm a musician. Uh, I I I'm in a band with a couple buddies of mine that live a couple towns away from me, so we don't practice too often. But we're working on having some kind of EP ready this year. Last year, my big focus was the uh, Spider-Man podcast. This year, I want to actually make some actual goddamn music. Well, we make plenty of it. We just don't put it out there. But uh, I'm a musician. I'm a framer. I'm an internet man. I have terminal internet poisoning in my brain. Uh, I play games, and I I exist. I do a lot of stuff. And, and obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably also at least a little bit listen to, to Spidey Signals. Uh, mm-hmm. The podcast that Alex is on with me, uh, where, we, where we talk about Spider-Man. Very, very successful, very famous, greatest podcast in the world. Uh, yeah. Uh, exactly. Spotify just offered to buy us for $101 million. For hundred, Yeah, fuck you, Joe Rogan. Are we getting, <laughs> we're, now, now we're just going to start like doing weird right-wing shit on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Buy the Spidey Signals uh, Electro Fun Pod NFT coming out next week. Exactly. We got N- we got NFTs. We got supplements. <laughs> we got the whole nine or it's only new dick, gas station dick pills. Let's pull up that monkey yards. video. Hey, pull, oh, pull up yeah. That All right. Video. I'm pulling it up. <laughs> wow. Uh, all right. Where, where did your sort of going back on topic where where did your sort of relationship with with games begin did you did you have a lot of games when you were a kid did you not start playing when yeah, you were older that's fair to say yeah i uh i was born in 96 um so i grew up in a really really good time for video games the earliest gaming memories i have um i was visiting a cousin in tennessee well rather we were at my cousin's house the cousin was at a dance camp a ballet camp but i had her bedroom and she had an n64 and my two earliest memories of playing games are Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time at age three and not being able to figure out how to leave Kokiri Forest. <laughs> and uh, Shadows of the Empire, also for N64. And every time I died, you get that, like, I don't remember if it's Emperor Palpatine or Prince Shizor, but you get this, like, really grim-looking face that comes up at the game over screen, and it scared the piss out of me at three. Uh, but I ended up growing to love both of those games. But uh, shortly after that, 2000-ish, my dad got a Dell Inspiron laptop solely because he could play Quake 3 Arena on it anywhere. <laughs> you could take it fucking Fuck yeah. anywhere, and you could play Quake 3 Arena on it, and that is the real first game I played, was Quake 3. Fucking loved it, still love it, still play it to this day with my brother and other people. Uh, I fucking love that game so much, and that that was really the gateway for me. 2001, Christmas time, I got an Xbox, and it's all been downhill since then. There there was a point in high school where I had collected uh, all of the Nintendo console, American Nintendo consoles, I should say, uh, up to the GameCube. I had a physical copy of every Zelda up to Wind Waker. I used to be really into the retro stuff, but that kind of tapered off in college. Uh, these days, I, I play a lot of stuff on Steam, a lot of Xbox stuff still. I've got Game Pass, and that does me a lot of favors. I'm working on eventually getting the funds together to build a big boy PC, but that's 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 my brief history of gaming. I'm 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 always been a pre-built guy. I I try oh, to yeah, fiddle around, try to fiddle around with building your own shit. It's like, and eh, especially now nowadays when uh bullshit crypto nonsense mm-hmm. is making graphics card prices really expensive. I'm actually quite lucky in that regard because my brother used to work at a big box office retail store. 
And anytime that a component would go on sale, he would buy that component and put it in his computer. So he's got like a box of parts at home labeled like for Alex's PC. Awesome. So I've got I've got a lot of stuff, you know, at my fingertips. I can just slap into whatever I start soon ish TBD. That's that's great. Uh, now, as we as we said earlier, we're talking about uh, Half-Life. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what what is Half-Life? Give give us a sort of cliff notes. What is this <laughs> game? What is it about? TLDR, it's the worst day on the job a human being has ever had. Uh, Very bad. <laughs> expanding just a bit. You are Gordon Freeman. You don't know much about yourself when you start the game, but you are a 27-year-old MIT graduate, which just makes my skin crawl the older I get. I'm going to be 26 in less than a month, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm as old as Gordon Freeman. Um, Gordon Freeman. You uh, you attempt an experiment that they haven't clued you in much about. You're essentially ramming Crystal A into Energy Field B, and that kind of opens this interdimensional rift that starts pouring alien foot soldiers into your place of work, which is this cavernous underground science research hush-hush facility. Uh, as time goes on, you attempt to fight your way out and through to get back to the surface until you run into uh, U.S. military HECU soldiers that are there to, you think, rescue you. But as you find out, they're there to murder and suppress everything and carpet bomb the place and sweep it all under the rug. Uh, eventually, you have to venture into the alien dimension of Zen itself to take down the Nihilanth, which is essentially the one running all of these alien soldiers into your dimension. Uh all unbeknownst to you until the end, that's actually like a vetting process to sell you to the highest bidder as like an alien, you know, I, I don't know, maybe know the right word for this. Like you're like a con- like an operative, a contractor. Yeah, you're, like a, you're basically a contractor or a problem solver. Exactly. Yeah. You get essentially drafted against your will to become like, OK, well, we're just we're going to freeze you for a while until we need you again, Master Chief. But uh, th- that's that's the short story of Half-Life. You're, you're trying to claw your way out of just a hellish hellish day gone wrong at your big boy job uh it's great it's a landmark game it's a landmark game it's a first person shooter it's built on the quake engine uh well it's a modified version of the quake engine the gold source engine which would become the source engine uh so we're we're, we're gonna talk a little bit more about uh this game's connection to earlier uh to quake specifically later Mm mm-hmm uh, so, uh, what, what was your sort of first experience with this game? Where were you sort of in your life at that time? Well, you kind of have to reverse engineer that. I am one of the, I, I'd wager there's a lot of people out there that played Half-Life 2 first. Uh, 2007-ish, I got the orange box for Xbox, and it, it advertised itself as the greatest gaming value of all time, and I still think that might be true. I uh, played the ever-loving hell out of Half-Life 2, and it's both episodes throughout my entire adolescence i didn't get a proper computer of my own until right at the ass end of high school for me so this would have been about 2014 which is when i i bought like the half-life complete pack from steam and uh i I didn't play half-life one until a good seven maybe six or seven years after i played half-life two which doesn't skew things too badly you you can really pick up two not knowing shit about one it helps I've always been one of those people that's like a, a fiend for lore, so I like looked up what happened in the first Half-Life, so I wasn't out of the loop. But yeah. that didn't take away from the experience of playing it years later. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it even then. Uh, I played it in 2014, so that would have been like 16 years after release. Still loved it. Still great. Yeah, the the, the orange box is... it's 
it's almost a, a, an incredibly singular thing because yeah. nobody's ever really any, done anything like it before, and it's it, I don't it, it's I don't think anything's ever gonna be the same as that. Oh yeah, I, I that was how I got my Steam account uh, back in back in the year of our Lord 2010 was I went mm-hmm. to Best Buy and I bought I, I begged my mom to buy me a copy of the Orange Box on PC and I had like a the, sh- the shittiest computer of all time, uh, yeah, and it like barely ran at all. Uh, yeah, I got my but, copy on Xbox, and I got it brand new, sealed off the shelf for twenty fucking dollars. I have, I have, I have, I have so many beautiful memories of playing uh, bot matches of Dust Bowl on TF2 mm-hmm. in fifth grade. That shit was, oh, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Portal was really what what just blew my mind back then. It was it was scary. It was challenging. It was very very the the ominous atmosphere of it it was it really shook me as a kid and i loved 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 it and uh i wish valve still made games i wish, I wish... Well, well that's another question i have later <laughs> oh yeah uh, we'll talk all about it but yeah i mean portal is a whole other thing we could talk about but Absolutely. We're here it's to tied talk about into half-life. half-life but we're we're here for this and i uh and i also it took me a while to play the first half-life as well i think i like you i played the second before the first uh but yeah let, let's to to dive deeper into this game, let's talk about uh you know where you start. Let's talk about the opening tram ride, which is oh, how this boy. game starts. Uh, you know, real time like elevator sequences and stuff like that have always been like the bane of gaming existence. But this um, you know, a lot of people like to to shit on the opening of Half Life because just to talk about it to start, you you kind of like come to like the screen opens up from black. You know, you get your little text overlay. Gordon Freeman, seventeen, MIT graduate, blah blah blah. Um, but with that said, that gives you so much information, you know, you're, you're riding this tram through the, the caverns and it, like it mazes and it, it, it shows you the environment and it also gives you a really good glimpse at like the big pneumatic robots walking around the, the giant <laughs> pools of nuclear waste with no railing around them. And like straight, straight it, up, I'm kind of mad. They never use the hydraulic robots in the rest. Oh of the yeah. Game. That would have been awesome. Awesome. But, like, it does a really good job of showing you this is Black Mesa. It is sprawling. It is massive. It is kind of secure. And it is operating on cardboard and exposed wire and bullshit. This is not a this is a place of science, but it's not a place of of peace or safety, I think, is what the opening gives you a really good physical look at. And why I say, you know, I said people shit on it because, you know, it takes forever. There's like nine, ten loading screens, all of this just to get you to a door you still have to wait for a security guard to open but the thing is with that opening being so long you look at something like wolfenstein the opening is get psyched and now you're standing in a hallway with a gun you look at doom you're standing in a hallway with a gun (laughs) you play quake you're standing in a hallway with a gun half-life was kind of the first it's a it's a first in a lot of ways to do the first of a lot of things but the first of those firsts was oh hey there's plot and it's it's it, it's engaging and it tells you who you are, where you stand. And that's not to say Quake and Doom and Wolfenstein don't have plots, but that was all in the manual. If you didn't yeah, read the plots manual, you, have to read. you wouldn't know that the Doom guy uh, assaulted his commanding officer for telling him to fire on civilians and, and put him in a full body cast unless you read the manual. Unless you read the manual, you just start out at Doom's gate, shotgun, blasting imps. Uh, Half-Life took a, a more deliberate, slow approach, and it really really eases you into the world and into Black Mesa and gives you a lot of time to to like ruminate on what's going on here. And I, I think a lot of people don't see that and all they see is, oh God, I'm still not playing the game. 
but uh you know it it, it was a first is, is how i'll phrase that but that's uh yeah it does take a considerable amount of time and once you get off the the tram you still have to wait for a security guard to open the door <laughs> yeah uh, and and it, it also it does a couple things no, number one it, it introduces the idea of you, you never leave gordon's shoes the whole game precisely uh, there's there's never a cut scene where control is taken away from the player uh if there's a dialogue scene basically you're trapped in a room with whoever you're talking to uh and you can just run around and do whatever you want absolutely uh, and also the part of that the, I, I like the, the intro tram, right? I, I think it does a lot of good world building immediately. It just gets you invested in, in the world of the game instead of just being like a little uh, shooting gallery for you to run around or you don't really care. Uh, but, uh, and, and specifically about that little NPC that walks over to the door, I, I think that's part of that is training the player to be like, hey, sometimes NPCs will be needed to progress in the oh, game. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's, you know, I, I imagine there's plenty of people out there that don't, give a shit about the plot of any game and just kill every scientist and security guard they see. And don't get me wrong, I do it once in a while just because it's funny, but, like, I can't imagine how many people, like, shot a security guard and are like, well, fuck, what do I do now, you know? Yeah, and I mean, uh, uh, have you played Black Mesa, the remake of this game? No, I've not. Uh, I've played all the expansions. I haven't played Decay or Black Mesa, and I certainly haven't played Hunt Down the Freeman. <laughs> It's good. It's going to be I'll I'll have some stuff to chime in about Black Mesa because Black. Oh, Mesa yeah, please is, do. Is, is I've always really, wanted really good. Always wanted to play it. I just don't think my computer can handle it, especially when we when we get to talking about Zen and the the, the, the they make a lot of changes to Zen in Black Mesa to make it I'm sure. better. That's probably not uh, a bad thing. Yeah. And speaking of of Gordon, we're going to we're going to I'm going to circle back around to the to the impact this game has had later when we're done talking about most of it. Uh, but let, let's talk about Gordon for the time being. Uh, sure. Do you like Gordon as a silent protagonist? Do you think that, I, I guess, Valve maybe... Do, do you think that maybe Valve wrote themselves into a corner as as they sort of started with Half-Life 2 having more, a lot more story-focused stuff? Uh, and just, you know, do you like Gordon in general? Well, to answer your first part about, about the later plot stuff, I don't necessarily think that they cornered themselves with that solely from the plot armor that uh and you know i guess this goes without saying that there's gonna be spoilers for the entire series but at the end of this game uh gordon is essentially put in stasis for 20 years while the earth is invaded by you know new aliens that start a, a fascist regime and start you know fucking with humanity and he's kind of dropped into the center all of this 20 years later so i mean with gordon having been silent throughout the entire first game uh, they didn't really have a lot of quote-unquote character to build off of, I guess. And with the events that transpire in the second game, you know, Gordon's kind of like already a legendary figure for what he did in, in Black Mesa. Um, he's he's like a, a Jesus figure to this resistance that's cropped up. And I, I don't necessarily think they wrote themselves into a corner simply because, like, Gordon has always, always been, in no uncertain terms, literally just a vessel for the player to inhabit. You are Gordon. You know what I mean? There, there, there isn't much to get wrong. He simply exists. They didn't tell us anything about him. So your brain is free to run wild. Literally, all we know about him is his age, his credentials, and he's got a photo of a baby in his locker. Is it his baby? I don't know. Could be. It could be his sister's baby. Maybe he has a sister. I don't know. Your brain can run wild. Again, I, I keep. I'm going to end up keep talking about the impact this game has had. It's. Uh, it, I feel like specifically it was this game that basically created the whole idea of 
silent first person shooter protagonists. Obviously, they For were sure. in the past before the, but a lot of the time that was before the era of voice acting. Uh, but just the idea of having a blank slate canvas to just project yourself into and be like, hey, I'm in this game world as, as a way for the, the player to interact with the world. I, th- I think that was Half-Life in particular was the one that really kicked that stuff off. I think I think giving Gordon any kind of like like we're talking about, like changing characterization or anything as, as the game went on would have been a huge mistake because there is no characterization to muddle with as, as long as you keep him a vessel for the player. I think he works great. Um, people like to, to cite Master Chief as a silent antagonist, which is erroneous and wrong. He does. I mean, he, he, talks so he, talks he talks a lot all the, the fucking time. Most of what he says is we have to get Cortana or I'm really sad that Cortana isn't here. But at the I you know, my he, blue big titty uh, computer wife. People like to erroneously not only call him silent, but uh, like an unfeeling protagonist. But Master Chief is probably one of the feelsiest dudes out there. And, you know, it's nitpicky, I guess, but Doom Guy even grunts and, you know, in the first game. And he has, a, like, <laughs> a few voice lines in Eternal, so it's not fair to call him a silent protagonist either. Even Quake Guy hums when he jumps. That's that's Trent Reznor's voice doing the <laughs> jump, by the way. Uh, but, like, you know, all of these characters were, quote-unquote, silent protagonists. Gordon is still a silent protagonist. I think he does also have a few, like, pain grunt sound effects, but, like... The whole point, I think, is to give you literally just a window into this world to experience these experiences. And I'm very glad that they've kept Gordon silent all these years. They they haven't. All the other characters are the characters. Gordon is a window. That's how I've always seen it. And I'm glad that with all the choices, because to be honest with you, Half-Life 2 is a radically different game. It, it's it's in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it's it's an evolution uh another recomposition of the formula that Half-Life 1 worked out so well. But they easily, like you said, with all of the the plot and the developments that happen into that elevate Gordon to like the status he's at within the Resistance as an antagonist of the Combine, they could have easily dropped the ball and like had him give some speech or something. And so in a roundabout way to answer your question, I love that Gordon is a silent protagonist and I would go so far as to call him the silent protagonist, especially relatively speaking with other quote unquote silent protagonists. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a really, really great video essay by a, one of my favorite YouTubers who was Noah Caldwell Gervais. Uh, he, he basically went through the whole, uh, he talks about all the games I'll put a link in the description of the episode so people can watch it because I love him. I love Noah Caldwell's Gervais so much. Uh, but he has a, a little line at the at the beginning when he talks about this game where basically the, the player wears Gordon like Gordon wears glasses. Yeah. Uh, it's it's in, at some points, especially in Half Life Two, I feel like there are points where it might have been like the dialogue, the scenes would have been better if Gordon could respond. But at, at the same time, I feel like if he did, it would be really weird and it wouldn't really feel like Half Life. Yeah, I, I especially like there's a joke very early in Half-Life 2 where you have to throw a switch to start a teleporter and Barney says, hey, really putting that MIT education to work. And I just love the idea of Gordon just staring him stone faced, silent, like not even reacting to the joke in the slightest. Just, it's awesome. It's great. Uh, you talked about uh, how Half-Life 2 is a very, very different game compared to the original. And we're not talking about Half-Life 2. This is not the episode about Half-Life 2. Uh, but that that sort of uh allows me to transition into the next question that I have, which is mm-hmm. about the gameplay. Uh Half-Life One is very, very indebted to Quake, which is oh, I yeah. think both both of us have talked about uh not just in our personal conversations. We both really, really love Quake. Huge uh, fan. 
specifically the original. I haven't played any of the other ones because none mm-hmm. of them have the same vibe as the first Quake. Uh, that that's sort of very weird. Uh, it, it's like the first game be- before Bloodborne, which we will talk about next week. Uh, to really get um Eldritch stuff. Yeah, very uh, gothic, right very Eldritch, and done well. Uh, but. I guess the next question is, what are your sort of thoughts on that minute-to-minute gameplay? Uh, the, do you think the gunplay is just like another version of Quake, or or do you think it, it has enough of its own ideas to sort of evolve beyond that game? It's a very uh, energetic game. The fights, they're not exactly like quick and over. There's a lot of them that incorporate like puzzle elements almost, where you've got all these crates maybe in a warehouse, and you've got soldiers strategically placed around those crates. You can You can use explosives to clear the crates out. You can get through them with a crowbar. It's very engaging, and it's it, like you said, it's minute to minute. It's it's always always changing. You need to use different weapons for different situations with different enemies, and I think it does stand out considerably from Quake. I played a lot of Quake after they remastered it last year. Uh, I bought the fucking vinyl re-release of the soundtrack so that Nine Inch Nails put out. It's amazing. I love Quake so much. Uh, it, it makes it bestills my little Resner cult heart. Uh, but Quake is a very different beast as, as, as many similarities as they share, uh, the motivations for the characters are completely different as similar as the gameplay is, you know, because of the, the things that arise from sharing that kind of engine. Uh, I think what separates and delineates the two very, very clearly is, is the atmosphere. Um, the weaponry in Quake is very... I'm not even sure how to describe it because a lot of the weapons aren't inherently eldritch. They're very industrial, I guess, is the is the right word for it. You've got like the double barrel. You've got your standard nail gun. You've got like the quadruple barrel nail gun. Of course, your classic video game double barrel shotgun. But it's all very it's all very of its environment. All most of the weaponry in Half-Life is very realistic. You've got, your, you know, you got the handgun. Depending on what graphics pack you're using, the the machine gun changes. It can be like an MP5, but it can also be like a like an AR style thing. Uh, I, I, I love the way that the guns look in the original Half Life without the, the yeah, yeah. texture pack. Where no, it, I always it, turn all the guns out, are yeah. made of like eight polygons. For sure. Uh, the the pistol has a nice satisfying snap to it. The 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 shotgun. You've got uh, uh, and a really big deal that separates it from Quake as well are the alternate fires on these things. Uh, you've got like semi-auto and full auto, depending on what trigger you're pressing. You can fire two shells out of the shotgun if you press the alternate fire. The the rocket launcher has a homing mode. That's a huge, huge delineation is just the, the virtue of having those alternate fires. But they're not also as as fanciful as the Quake guns. You know, of course, Quake has, you know, nail guns and stuff like that. And that's not to say Half-Life doesn't have goofier stuff like the bugs and the Tau cannon. But a lot of the weapons are more rooted in realism. And I think that also helps with, like, inhabiting Gordon. I, ho- I, yeah, I think that's a pretty I, rounded out answer. I mean, I, I feel like it is it, the, the, the combat of this game is pretty fast paced. I feel like the, the, eventually the games, the com- pace of combat in these games gets slower and slower until you read something like Half-Life Alex, where it's a VR game. And you have Which to I move still around played, in real life. Half-Life Alex is so good. Well, well, I have a question about that later. Sure, sure. Uh, um, but yeah, it's, I, I, it's going to be weird to say because this is a game that has like a gluon gun where it's basically the proton pack from Ghostbusters and there's like aliens and shit, but this is basically like the more grounded version of Quake. Uh, yeah, definitely. There is, it, it's a little slower and a little more methodical, but it's still frenetic enough to, to where combat engagements feel snappy. 
And yeah. I, I think I think it's 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 sort of uh, yeah I agree with you. It stands on its own. I, I would uh, say that the weapons are less fantastical than Quake. I think is a good way to phrase it. Yes, there's there's no na- there's no nail gun in in Half Life. Even even the goofier stuff makes sense in like a like a sci-fi perspective. Yeah, it's they're if all, you look they're, at it like a, fi- like... like a like a like a horror B movie from the fifties. It's all very science. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's sort of go on and let's, let's continue to sort of talk about gameplay. Uh, this question is sort of, do do you think the gameplay or the story is more important in this game? Like, which do you value more? In this specific game, gameplay, absolutely. The story is very cut and dry and dare say predictable. Uh, you fucked up an experiment. Now aliens are here. You killed a lot of aliens, and now soldiers are here. You killed a lot of soldiers, and now black ops are here. You killed everybody, and now you're gone. It's very cut and dry. And that's not an insult, and that's not me talking down on the game, but that's just simply the facts. It's it's very, very... I don't want to say bare bones, because I don't think it is bare bones. I think cut and dry is a little better. I think it's just very formulaic, and the it, gameplay is what really makes it stand out from that kind of generic story. The st- the story is sort of almost in the background in this game. Obviously, mm-hmm. it, it crops up more at the end. Yeah, uh, it, it but... slowly becomes relevant. The story, yeah, and and it, but it's not as you know as essential to the story as something like Half Life Two. Uh, exactly. But yeah. The th- majority almost... of the story in Half Life is get out, just get the fuck out. <laughs> there's almost a, a a layer of it that reminds me of this game came out as we said before. This game came out in 1998. Uh, and part of me thinks it was almost influenced by the sort of wave of disaster movies that came out around the mid to late nineties. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, your, your, your deep impacts or your Dante's peaks or your twisters or shit like that. Half-Life uh, the movie directed by Roland Emmerich. Yeah. I mean, you know, I could, I could see that in my mind's eye. It probably wouldn't be good, but you know, it, Not would, at all. it would make at least a modicum of sense. Uh, so, you know, th- there is that sort of late nineties disaster movie type feel where it's like the, the yeah. pace doesn't really stop. You're just I've always constantly gotten, going, going, going. I've always gotten an alien vibe from the game, too, with all the hallway creeping and the, the jump scares and stuff like that. I've always gotten very distinctly a 1979 alien vibe from the game. Mm. Yeah, especially when, we, when, you, when you get into Zen. Uh, but we're, that's almost the next question. Uh, the actual next question is, do you like the story of this game? Do you wish there was more to it? Or do you like sort of that more bare bones style? I, I can't say I dislike it. I do like it. Um, I don't think there's anything that could expand, quote unquote, on it that that opposing force and blue shift, the expansion packs that came out by gear, that gearbox did after the fact. Um, I don't think there's anything I can ask for that those two expansions didn't give us specifically. Uh, I, I like it for what it is. And like I said earlier, I don't I'm not talking down on it. It's just simply how it is with this game. Uh, but no, I, I don't think there's anything specifically that wasn't added after the fact that would improve it per se. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like we just said earlier, uh, it's the story is, is mostly background stuff, but what is there, I think is really, really impactful. Uh, there's a specific moment I want to talk about in black Mesa, uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, what I would say is probably my favorite, one of my favorite chapters of the game office complex. Uh, where you're running around and there's a little air, there's a little radio you can find uh, that basically just plays like uh, uh, it's basically just a radio announcer basically sort of talking about just giving you a little brief glimpse into what's going on outside of Black Mesa where it's like we're evacuating uh, the nearby area 
uh, you know, bring, don't try to bring a whole lot of stuff with you, food, water, blah, 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 blah. It's, I, I, it's just that little, little bit, I think adds a lot to the story. Uh, and I think it's one of the, one of the many things that makes, um, Black Mesa work. At 9.47 a.m. Mountain Time, a disaster of unknown type has occurred at the Black Mesa Research Facility, causing significant damage and failure to various power and communication systems in the surrounding areas. An immediate evacuation order has been issued for all residents within a 75-mile radius of the facility, and on-site military has been dispatched to provide assistance. Make sure to bring an emergency supply of food, water, clothing, first aid kit, flashlights with extra batteries, and battery-powered radios. Follow local evacuation routes, which have been marked by local authorities, and only use one vehicle. Do not return to the warning area until the all-clear has been given. If you are not in the evacuation zone, stay where you are. If you are within the evacuation area and have no transportation, locate your nearest police department or military officer. Do not use telephones or cell phones, except in the case of emergencies. Stay tuned to local news media outlets for further details and information on this situation. There, 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 Black Mesa is, in many ways, a sort of a different game than the original. It, it, it's more in line with Half-Life 2 than it is with Quake. Uh, so there is something a little bit lost there in that transition, uh, but it does make a lot of changes that I think are good, especially when we get to the next area that we're going to talk about, uh, which is Zen. So, so right at the end of the game, you're basically, as, as Alex talked about in his little recap earlier, you're given basically, uh, you get, you get to the Lambda complex. The scientists are like, if we have to stop this invasion, you have to go to this alternate dimension or whatever, this alien planet. And you jump through this portal and you're dropped into this uh, horrific land of uh, floating platforms and just a lot of 3D platforming in yeah. first person. Low gravity and these like spiked tentacle things that are rooted in the ground that'll totally fuck you up if you get too close to them. And, and you're given this item, I think it's the long jump pack or like the, the mo- double long jump? jump module. Yeah, long jump module. Yes. Uh, so you jump like your Mario, Mario and Mario 64. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Luigi style. Luigi style. Uh, do you think that Zen is well designed? How do you, how do you sort of feel about those platforming elements? It, it is a great game. I can't call Half-Life a perfect game because there are a lot of, you know, little bugs that stick out as, as great and as formative and as foundational as it is. Zen is probably my least favorite part of the game. And I know a lot of people can sympathize with that. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say it's all total dog shit, but it just kind of, it works against the good stuff that the game gave you so far. I don't hate the idea of Zen. I really love the idea of Gordon going from point a in the facility to having to do this mission in the other world to, to it's a great story arc. Don't get me wrong. I just think that maybe it should have, conceptualized a little more maybe it should have spent a little more time in the oven uh a lot of it is the gravity and the game is a great mixture of a lot of different things it's a horror game it's a sci-fi game it's a shooter uh but all of a sudden it's been a puzzle game the entire game but this is where it really goes head over heels into becoming mostly a puzzle game with the jumping puzzles and 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 trying to free these little crystal things out of like a little, you know what I mean? The little triangles that float around and you have to jump around and smash the things. 
it 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 kind of loses focus when you hit Zen. And it all comes back into like sharp focus at the very, very end of the game once you've beaten it. And I think that's detrimental, but I don't think it's a deal breaker. Yeah, it's it's definitely not great. And specifically also the final boss of the game, the Nylanth. Mm-hmm. Uh he sucks. He's, He's like not, not fun, fun at fight. all. Yeah. Uh, his his whole thing is that he he flies around. Uh, he's a big he's a big floating brain guy. Yeah, there's these uh, little like baby looking enemies that float around and shoot shit at you. He's like a big one of those. Yeah, he's yeah. They, he shoots energy projectiles at you, and there's in his it's basically a giant cylinder you fight him in. Uh, mm-hmm. There are little jump pads. You jump on top of it. The, basically, the goal is to jump really high up and then shoot him with like grenades in his exposed brain hole. Uh, mm-hmm. But the worst part about that boss fight is that he keeps throwing portals at you and sending yeah. you into little platforming challenges where you have to escape and then you get out and then he immediately hits you with another portal and you have to keep doing that. So <laughs> Which, I, think like, last time, I think last time I played through this game, I just said fuck it and turned on cheats and went to no clip <laughs> and just started yeah, just, gunning him down. Yeah. There's literally like, okay, I'm, this is like nitpicking lore bullshit, but for all that effort of portaling you away every time, he could easily just pick you up and rip you in half and be done. But he wants to put you through puzzle hell. <laughs> it just does it to fuck with you. Uh, just to, to again talk about Black Mesa. Uh, Black Mesa, basically, uh, for a while when it was in early access, uh, the game stopped once you got once you jumped through the portal to Zen. Like they they they, the game ended there, uh, because they had put in a lot of work to try and make a new version of Zen. Basically, Zen and Black Mesa is entirely redesigned. Basically, nothing is kept from the original except for like you know the main story beats of you fight the the Gonark, you fight Nihilanth, and all this other stuff. You have the same basic plot beats, but everything is either expanded or completely changed to make it tolerable. There's not a lot of platforming. There's lots of really interesting alien landscapes. Zen in Black Mesa is actually fun, mm-hmm. and it's kind of it's kind of insane. Uh, the thing that it reminds me the most of is my favorite game of all time, Bioshock, where basically in the last third, that game shits the bed and like doesn't know how to end. So it's like, uh, do a little uh, escort quest and then fight a giant boss man. Uh, the game's over now. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot in that way where you get to the to Zen and it's like a uh, platforming run around. That's what fight a big love. Fi- fight a big alien guy, get teleported. Uh, game's over. But the ending of a Half Life, unlike the ending of Bioshock One, is really really great. Uh, and it also allows me to transition into my next question, which is about uh our our good friend the G Man. Hmm. Uh. I'm going to immediately say it right now. G-Man is probably my favorite antagonist in any game. Yeah, uh, I, that's a really, that's a good one. Yeah. I, I, I love, I just love the idea of this weird alien guy who has just chosen the form of a, of businessman, mm-hmm. uh, who, he, who he, just, he delights in his work. He relishes it. And, and, and the, the whole point of it is we don't know what his work is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, on the surface, like as surface level as it gets, he appears to be some kind of middleman for securing agents of some kind to further uh, the goals of his superiors, I guess is the most straightforward way to put it. 
Yeah, my, my question is, who do you think the G-Man works for, essentially? Well, that is that is the subject of many uh, a gamer debate. Um, he clearly isn't in league with the Combine, per se, because he, you know, plucks you out of the fray to, to combat them and to take back humanity from the Combine. So you can maybe scratch that one off the list. Uh, he doesn't seem to have any alliance with... with like the Nihilanth or the Gonark or any of like the Vortigaunts or anything like the Vortigaunts are aware of who he is in Half-Life 2 and, and they're the like Vortigaunts seem to be his him. enemy, essentially. They're, they're very, very wary of him, uh, but they are inherently familiar with him. They make that clear. Um, to be completely fucking honest, I have no inkling who or what he could be working for. I've always kind of seen him as maybe like a... He he does make direct references to like employers, so he's not a rogue free agent. But I've always thought that he, whoever he's working for, he does maybe seem to have his own ulterior motives in mind. Like he's maybe trying to get shit done behind their backs, the way he talks and phrases things. And I, I the big answer here is I have no fucking clue. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's the thing that interests me the most about him is that he's not just a mouthpiece for his employers. He has yeah. his own agenda like shit that he wants done specifically when we get to half-life two, I think episode two, uh, when he's talking, when he like has a personal grudge against like Eli. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, have you been spoiled on Alex? Do you know what happens in that game? I, I do. Yes. My, okay. I, my, my brother has a VR setup. He told me all about it. It sounds great. With, with like the shit that he, he pulls in Alex where he like knows what's going to happen. Even though that game's a prequel and like swaps things around and changes the whole entire uh, storyline of that game. Mm -hmm. It's, he's just such a fascinating character. And, uh, he's clearly I mean, up to something on a personal he's level. Clear, he's, he's very, he's very devilish. He's, he's, he's going devil mode. Oh, he's for got, sure. he's got some nefarious plans. Uh, Michael Shapiro is his voice actor and he is fucking incredible. He's there's like I, I don't know like five minutes of total G-Man content where he speaks in the in the entire series. But it's very uh, iconic. Well, pretty much everything he says is iconic. It's 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 fantastic. And I, uh, I am I'm unable to separate the expression. Uh, uh, fuck, wake up and smell the ashes from him. You know the wake yeah, up wake and smell up. anything. I hear yeah, his voice. It's 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 incredible. Uh, I, I just, I just love that there's a, just the idea of a funny businessman who works for evil aliens, uh, oh. j just such a, such an interesting concept. And I, I speaking, think speaking of the G man, I have, I have to relay this personal experience. It's the funniest, one of the funniest fucking things that ever happened to me in the world of playing video games really early on. Uh, I, I had half-life two on a PC, uh, maybe in high school. It was, it ran really shitty. Um, but one time when I tried to boot it up, the beginning of Half-Life 2, and I know we said we're not going to talk too much about 2, but the intro of 2 is G-Man narration over, like, images from the first game, like the, the Resonance Cascade and stuff like that, Just, you know, shots of the lasers and everything. He's supposed to be talking with his face overlaid on it, but one of the times I booted the game up, his face was completely still, and it wasn't playing his dialogue, so he's just looking into the camera at you as, like, the droning score plays and all these images flash by. I, I've never had it happen again, but it was fucking terrifying. <laughs> and I love the idea of that being someone's first playthrough. It's just G-Man staring at you while the whir clang, you know, just... You fucked up. Fucking hilarious.
yeah, I just I can't. I've I've talked about it a lot because uh, I, I I also do some video game live streaming. I, I played through all of Half Life Two, uh, uh, and I just I I love G Man. He's he's great. Uh, let's let's go on and, and talk about we we mentioned earlier the expansion packs that you've yes, played. Yes, let's let's talk about those. Yeah. Uh, blue blue shift and opposing force. What are your thoughts right. on those? I, I like Blue Shift a lot. Uh, Opposing Force came out in 99. Blue Shift came out in 2001, both of which developed by Gearbox Software, uh, you know, another famous game gamer company. Blue Shift, um, Blue Shift, I think, was originally supposed to be an add-on for the Dreamcast port of Half-Life 1 that never came out. That sounds right, yeah. Um, they're interesting. Blue Shift, you play as uh, Barney Calhoun, who is a pretty major character in Half-Life 2. Uh, it's just another trying to get out story but it's more focused on the scientist and security guard side of things it's very uh, short too like it's not very like very short just a few levels uh and opposing force he plays adrian shepherd who is one of the uh hecu hecu units sent in to essentially contain this situation and you get kind of a, uh, you know he has to also fight a bunch of aliens and shit uh <clears throat> it's they try to put you in his shoes. They try to paint him as kind of a sympathetic character. I don't remember specifically if he's like, oh, I don't want to kill scientists or anything like that. Um, it's not insanely memorable to me, opposing force. I like Blue Shift a lot, as short as it is. Maybe that has something to do with playing as like an established franchise character. Because they they just do nothing with uh, Shepard after after uh opposing force they literally he's like status question mark at the end of the game i, I keep yeah, they, thinking g-man puts him in a freezer and it's like all right bye and you know they did something with gordon later and they've done stuff with barney later and a lot of people are like oh are we ever going to get more shepherd stuff people interpreted like stuff in portal to be like halfway references to that the the portal gun is called that the aperture science handheld portal device which is mm -hmm. a s h p d which almost looks like a shepherd Oh, what could it mean? It means, nothing. it means absolutely nothing. And we're not getting an opposing force sequel. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because if you've I'm going to put another link in the description of another YouTube video. If you've watched the the no clip documentary about Half-Life, uh, Gearbox and Valve have a sort of very strained relationship almost uh, because Randy Pitchford is an asshole. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that they wouldn't really want to do anything with that. And also, Opposing Force does this really weird thing where they just add in an entirely new alien race called, I think, Race X. Uh, and yeah. you just had to fight them. And there's a whole different giant monster you fight at the end of Opposing Force. It's uh, very, And then they just never talk about them ever again for the rest of the game. Very derivative. Not, and frankly, just not as interesting as the original game or Blue Shift. Uh, but you know, opposing force does have that that grappling hook barnacle, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's maybe the one fun takeaway from it, I guess. I I'm not harsh on the game. It is a fun Half Life experience. It's just not my preferred cup of tea. No, it, it's it's not nearly as good as the uh, the base game. Uh, and blue blue shift it gets a pass because it's just because it's short. Oh yeah, uh, it, well, I'd say it's a lot of fun too. Um, I think you get a stronger security guard pistol in that game. If I'm remembering correctly, that's a lot remember. of fun to use. It, it's pretty uh, neat. I, I enjoy it for what it is. A little short slice of another one of Freeman's compatriots. And briefly, just to mention it before we move on, there there is Half-Life Decay, which is, I think, was originally for the, the PlayStation 2 release of this game. Yes. Uh, it is a multiplayer mode. Neither of us have played it. 
Nope. Uh, I, I've heard it's not great uh, because n- not a lot of the, the, the challenges are designed for two players. Uh, it, it just sort of feels like a lot of running around and not. It, it doesn't really take as much advantage of the co-op stuff, especially compared to Valve's other co-op things like Left 4 Dead or Portal 2. Uh, it, it's just not super great. And also trying to play it on a computer in the year of our Lord 2022 uh, is apparently a giant pain in the ass. Yeah, Decay just sounds like a lot of missed potential to me. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it adds extra characters like I think Gina Cross who created the the HEV suits. Uh, and and it, it, adds, it adds interesting stuff, but at the same time, it's like not very essential. That almost feels like Star Wars level stuff to me. Like something must exist, so we need to hear about the history of it and, and who invented it and why. And it's it's an HEV suit. You, it speaks for itself. We don't need to know who invented the HEV suit. I think her model is actually based on the hologram who shows you how to use it in the uh, the training mode of the original game. So I th- it has some basis in reality. I suppose. It, it uh, like I said, it just comes across as like, oh, Han Solo got his ship, his gun, and his dog all in a week. You know what I mean? Wow. What What do we know? Half. Oh, we know HEV suit. We need to know who get, who made that. We need to know who brought the crowbar from from Home Depot to 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 Black Mesa. Yeah, I think at the end of of Decay, yeah, you you deliver the the sample uh, that Gordon pushes into the thing. It, oh, it the does. Sh- you're, shopping cart full of glowing rocks. Now that you're talking about it, it does in fact sound like a Star Wars prequel. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's um, what we know. Here's how we get there. Is how they wrote it, I guess. I guess, yeah. Uh, all, all I can think of is Solo, a Star Wars story now. Gordon Solo. What, what, is the name of, what is the name of your people? Just blank no stare. People. Gordon Silence. Uh, we we kind of already talked about this, but what do you think is the weakest aspect of the game? Uh, you, could, you could say the plot easily. Um sometimes the difficulty spikes are a bit much, especially on the hardest difficulty, but that's not super fair to say either. Cause a lot of times when I die in the game, I feel like it is my fault. Like they've laid lay out pretty clearly, like the strengths and weaknesses of everything. Um, I guess to a, to a fault, the, the plot is a bit weak. Uh, again, not an insult, just a weakness. And Zen is just a lot of not fun to play. Um, that almost feels like a cop out answer, but it also is pretty true. Yeah, Zen. I was immediately going to say Zen. You know, some people don't like on a rail, and I'm like, on a rail is not that bad. On a rail is fine. Uh, you're you're honestly not on the cart that long. No, and I mean it's not hard to control, and it's not really all that confusing. It's just you know you're on you're literally on a rail. Yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah, Zen is is and the final boss in particular suck. Yeah. Uh, on on the flip side, what do you think is the strongest aspect of this game? Personally speaking. Uh, this might not be an answer here a lot, but one of the huge strengths of this game that it has over a lot of games is its soundtrack and its score. Uh, I love listening to it. A lot of it's ambient, but a lot of it is also funky as shit. There's a lot of, I feel like there's some, like a little house influence on it. It's very, uh, it's, it's unlike a lot of other game soundtracks, uh, to bring up Quake again, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails did the, the score for that. And it's a very... Screamy, very drum poundy, very like blood pumping fighting actions, you know, music. But a lot of the Half Life score is, you know, very muted, a lot of like hi hat cymbals, a lot of electric guitar drone, but at the same time, a lot of like cave drip type stuff. Um, 
And, and even even in Quake, there's like one song that's like that, but the rest of it is mostly just like dark ambient stuff. Yeah, like very like wavy synth, that kind of thing. Um, Half-Life is all over the place in terms of the soundtrack, and I like it. Um, yeah, I, I almost wanted to say earlier that it's basically like the Quake soundtrack, but, you know, uh, like a dancier, more house-inspired version of that. Definitely. And I, I didn't really notice the house influences until I... I've actually been... I listen to a lot of music at work because um, I'm kind of secluded in what I call the frame cave. It's, it's, it's you know, away from the floor. I get to be back mm. there all day, and I'll usually just listen to a shitty podcast or... Nine out of ten times, Nine Inch Nails, because they're right now they're my favorite band. But I've, I've been listening to a lot of uh, uh, movie and game scores back there a lot. And Half-Life has gotten a lot of rotations since I knew I was going to be talking about it on this show. And I love it. And I only just this year noticed that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of house influence on it. Do you have a favorite song from the soundtrack? It's pretty tied. I like, uh, oh, fuck, what's it called? Nuclear Something Jam. Uh, nuclear mission jam i like a lot but i'm i'm a human being with two ears and a heart and like many people my favorite song is probably klaxon beat uh it's great the drone at the beginning is awesome and when the the hi-hat kicks in it straight up sounds like it could have been on uh daft punk's homework it, it's it's really really good shit it's it's a really short song it's like a minute and change but there's of course like a 15 minute extended remix on youtube uh, I love Klaxon Beat. Really good song. It's most people's favorite song from this game. I, you know, I think, I think my favorite song is probably, you know, it's it's you know the Valve theme now, but Hazardous Environments. I really oh, yeah. love that song. It's good, uh, and 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 just the fact that they play it uh, in ha- just a the that brief little snippet of it in Half Life Two when you put the HEV suit on, it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's very, yeah, like you said, it's become the Valve theme song, but it, it distinctly makes me think of Half Life. It's very. Oh. Very industrial, very slinky, very, very grimy sounding. It 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 it's instantly great. it instantly brings to mind that that shot of Gordon looking at his gloved hands in the suit. It's it's that's how you do a motif, I think. Do you have a favorite uh what what's your favorite chapter of the game? Do you have one? Probably surface tension. Um Surface Tension is very good. It's probably the most engaging chapter, I think. It, it's it's the least focused on plot. And it's at the height of the get the fuck out of here part of the game. Uh, it's very tense, very, very run and gun. Um, it lets you see a lot of the outside, which is kind of what you've been building out towards in this game. You spend a lot of it, you know, in labs and ducts and hallways. This is the game that established crawling and duct work, by the way. Um, but yeah, no, surface tension, I think, is the most fun to play. Um, yeah, easily, easily, in my opinion. Mine are probably, like I said, Office Complex or uh, or the one right after it. We've got Hostiles. Uh, where Those are also he- very fun. J- just because where they immediately introduce the Heku troops and it's like, oh, shit. Now, like, it's really serious. Yeah, I would say maybe maybe Office Complex is my second favorite. It's just, it, it's it's really very nice walking through these very 90s offices. 
I love that first encounter with the Hecu troops with the scientists. Like, oh God, we're saved. Thank we're you. We're saved. Oh. They get gunned down. You're like, Immediately. oh shit. And it just completely changes the tone of the game. Yeah, absolutely. The switch is, the switch is immediately flipped when you get to where you've got hostiles. And you're like, oh fuck, not this oh, too. Oh fuck. Uh, let's, I, I got a couple more questions. Uh, oh. Mostly about the, the sort of the, this game's impact. Uh, do, how, how do you think this game pack, game's impact has been felt? Like through the throughout the FPS genre, and oh, uh, as a sort of a side of that, do, do you think this game has left a good legacy? Uh, definitely a good legacy. I'll I'll get to that in a second. But as far as like, how how did you phrase the first part of it? What what was the impact of it? Yeah, like, do you think it like the impact of this game on on the genre can still be felt? For sure, a hundred percent. Shooters are a lot different now. Uh, you look at stuff like. I don't know, Titanfall 2, uh, Halo Infinite, stuff stuff that's come out in the last, you know, half of the decade, stuff that came out this year, last year. And it's it's a far cry from Half-Life. Half-Life is very it no no pun intended, it feels a little more on rails than than a lot of newer games. Newer games, of course, have had more time to evolve and, and show you new mechanics and stuff, but there's something so beautifully simple of about the first half-life like you can use it as a blueprint for if, if you're trying to develop a shooter you should absolutely be consulting half-life as your here's what you should be doing with your with your gunplay with your physics with your level design with your with your pacing you know again the 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 last third of it isn't the best once you hit zen but in terms of impact yeah you can you can trace its DNA like at the roots of the FPS tree. Like, you know, it's got it's got Quake and, and Doom and Wolfenstein preceding it. But I think Half-Life is where the shift started into like legitimately enforcing FPS as like a a, a a huge new like tower in, in the game Pantheon. You know, platformer, it is a platformer, but platformers like Super Mario 64 and stuff like that, like ruled uh, in terms of the platformer. This is this is a shooter. It's a platformer. It's kind of survival horror. It uh, it kind of showed that a game can be more than just what the box says it is. It can be a few different genres of game. It can it, uh, the impact absolutely has been felt and absolutely has lasted. Um, I think a lot of people prefer the second game. I I'm a little weird and I like this game a little more than Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2 is a, a great game. It's a lot of fun. You have a lot more freedom and movement in it. And that's kind of my point is that uh, the first Half-Life is a little restricted and it kind of buckles you more into an experience. And I like that a lot. And a lot of games give you too much freedom. I think uh, open world games have become more and more and more and more the norm these days fucking half uh halo is now open world and it's it, it's a bit interesting but I, I there's a there's a simplicity to half-life that has stood the test of time and i think continues to stand the test of time and influence it goes to show that a lot of man hours and, and talent and money went into a remaster like a fan remaster the way that black mesa did just to show you what kind of community has built around this game and recognizes uh, it for what it is yeah i mean I, like I said earlier, my favorite game is Bioshock, and Bioshock is very obviously heavily inspired by a game like Half-Life. Silent protagonist, uh, large selection of weaponry. It's eerie atmosphere. Eerie atmosphere. Uh, it's they're, they're basically all for... There's sort of the idea of back in the 90s, uh, when Wolfenstein and Doom came out, there was, you know, all, all these other first-person shooters that were coming out, and they were all labeled Doom clones. 
because mm-hmm. they all had sort of similar gameplay of running around in a maze, getting keys and stuff. Uh, but you know, it was it was Quake and this game that basically said, no, these are their own genre. This is not yeah. some kind of you know, these are they're not all ripoffs of the same game. This isn't like you know, Pac when Pac Man came out, and they're like thirty different Pac Man games. Uh, this is first person shooters are their own thing and can do their own stuff. And, and also the idea of being able to tell a complete, uh, rich story through just gameplay, uh, that that's also very, very influential on everything from, like I said, Bioshock to stuff like, uh, the fear games, fucking oh, yeah. Call, oh, yeah. call of call of duty, modern warfare would not exist without, uh, half-life one. Uh, there's, and you know, basically every first person shooter has at least a, a little bit of Half-Life one in it. Yeah. I can't, uh, I can't remember who said it. It was in a video essay. I know that for sure, but somebody once compared doom to the discovery of fire and half-life to the harnessing of electricity. If that makes any kind of sense in, in terms that's, of like, that's good. yeah, it's, 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 it's improving on the format. It's, it's evolution. It is taking what existed previously and exploring all new kinds of nooks and crannies that couldn't have been considered in the old times. There's not, there's five fucking years between doom and half-life and the, 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 the glow up you could say is just intensely phenomenal. It's, all, all, all of that due to quake. Shout out yep. quake. Shout out quake. Go play quake. We love you. Carmack. Quake, you, quake the most under the most underrated of the id games. I, Which, I think that's fair to say, yeah. It's still, still, ha- I'm still waiting on them to do like a, a first, per- uh, like a new reboot of Quake, like they did with oh, Doom and Wolfenstein. You have no idea, man. I if they got Trent Reznor to come back and record new music for that, I would Ugh. legitimately piss my pants on the get spot. all that, get all that alien shit from two and three and four. Get all that shit out of there. Make it a fir- make it a single player game that has, I mean, multiplayer or whatever. Make it gothic. Make it industrial. It's all there. You just have, the ideas are all there. You could just it's, do it. It's what people have been clamoring for since Doom 2016. I think uh, a very small but vocal group of people like us in, in the Quake community. The Quake community, and it's like eight like, people. You, QAnons, you could call us. <laughs> uh, there, there's also another really big legacy that this game has, and that's uh, modding. This was like this and oh yeah, Qua- this and l- like going back to Quake again. Uh, two big games that basically invented the modern modding scene. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, you had Doom Wads before that, but that was a very, very easy process compared to like modding as we know it now from this game. Yeah, Team Team Fortress, which would eventually be absorbed into Valve. Uh, Counter Strike, which is a massive game in and of itself. There's all sorts of really fun single player mods for Half Life One. Uh, it's they're basically. I want to say almost the entire PC gamer obsession with modding games. Like, you know, every time a, a Bethesda game comes out, it's like, oh, I can't wait for the mods. Uh, I I, th- I think a lot of that was based on the legacy of Half-Life, where, like, when people started porting Quake mods to Half-Life, where you got, like, action Half-Life and shit like that. Yeah, for sure. I'm not the most experienced modder in the world, but I do know enough to know that this, like, beyond Doom wads, this was probably the most, like, user-friendly way to edit a game uh up to this point anyway like it wasn't super heard of at that point in time like again uh, tracking it back to a modern game you know if you play like prop hunt mode in Fortnite, that wouldn't exist without half-life 
with, without the the modding tools that were developed, and then later on in Half Life Two expanded upon. You get shit like Gary's mod and the original oh, stuff yeah. that people made with that. Hell, it's, I would argue Gary's mod is maybe more influential than any Half Life game. Gar- yeah, but you know, again, Gary's mod wouldn't exist without Half Life. Precisely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a testament to to users having fun and going, how can I make this better myself? Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. It's also a testament to Valve that they've been so supportive of this stuff, where you yeah, know, there's the Steam Workshop, where you get to post all your stuff wherever you want. It's really easy. You you can say what you can and can and will about Valve, but at at their core, they've they've always been very engaged with the community, um, uh, in a good way, I should say. It's not like Nintendo where they take down any fan game they say and destroy it with their laser beams. You can still buy games from Valve from 20 years ago for a reasonable price. Checkmate, they, Nintendo. They, they let hunt down the Freeman happen. Like they, they, let they, people, they sure did. Like they, they let it happen. And, you know, at this, it, while that game is shit, at the same time, you know, they let fans take their ip and make a new game out of it and sell it on their platform and they're like yeah sure go ahead to relate that to my personal life like i said i work in framing people bring me pictures of families paintings all kinds of weird shit you know physical objects to mount lot you can't predict what you're going to see in a day and at the end of the day the customer is is quote unquote always right i can put together you know a lot of times people say oh you give me your ideas and i'm able to make something you know with a pre-visualization that works with the piece the matting is nice the frame complements it but then you get that one out of ten customer that's like this is exactly what i want and it looks like dog shit but i love it i have to smile and i have to sell it to them because they're right it's going to hang on their wall valve that's pretty much what they did with hunt down the freeman they're like well it looks and smells like shit but here you go it's exactly what you (laughs) what you wanted you do what you want fellas we're gonna sit here and count the money uh, I got, a, I got, I think three more questions. Shoot. Uh, uh, the, the first, the question was initially, how have you played Half-Life Alex? Which you said you haven't, uh, I have not, despite being an Alex, what do you, what do you think about the idea of this, the rest of the Half-Life franchise being VR exclusive games? Cause that, that's, I think that's the direction that they're going. In. <laughs> I think it's inevitable. I don't think it's a great thing because, um, speaking as somebody that lives like kind of below the poverty line i don't know when i'm gonna own a vr headset my brother does but he works a lot more than me and uh is able to make more money than me so he's able to afford stuff like that not not a dig at him and i don't feel jealousy over it but that's just the fact some people can't yeah. afford this kind of thing uh i'm one of those people and my i like we've talked about if you know me from the spidey signal show you know that uh, i am a disabled person my hands are a little gnarled from arthritis so using VR controllers isn't something that I terribly look forward to. I, I can I, I can pretty well use a, a standard like Xbox controller pretty well. But the idea of getting a little more intricate with like the triggers and wrist motions of VR isn't super appealing to me. Now, that's a very specific individual case basis there, in my opinion. But I think that the the money aspect of it can touch just about everybody. Um, yeah, that 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 opens a lot of really interesting questions. Uh I, I do think VR is here to stay. For uh, sure. It's I, I, have a, I have a VR headset. I bought it so I could play Half-Life Alex. Half-Life Alex is the best As VR did game my ever brother. made. <laughs> Half-Life Alex is easily the best VR game ever made. Uh, mm-hmm. And if Valve are going to keep making stuff for VR, I'm like, fuck yeah. Uh, it's, but, you know, you're, you're right. The VR companies have, have to work through a lot of stuff because it's an entirely new way to play games. And... 
I, I think it's really imperative that they, number one, obviously make it accessible to more people, both in, uh, you know, for you, be, for people like you, making it more accessible for disabled people, and also making it more affordable. Uh, you know, I think something like the Oculus Quest 2 is a good idea if it wasn't yeah. owned by the worst company in human history. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a long, slow march to to ubiquity. Uh, and God God forbid that we get dumbass shit like metaverse bullshit or you know fucking um, whatever. Like I just want to play half the metaverse Dodge, Walmart, man. I'm gonna I want to firebomb the metaverse Walmart. I I I think there's a stronger chance of me getting a VR headset before the next Half-Life game comes out because Probably. talking about t- talking about all this I distinctly remember when the Xbox 1 came out going, "Ah shit, what if Half-Life 3 comes out and it's not on 360 and I have to buy an Xbox 1?" That was like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, um I I think realistically speaking, you know, it's a catch-up process. Uh you got to save up and get yourself a headset so you can participate in this. But I do think over time they're going to be more affordable. I think that you know, the Xbox and the PS5 have been out for about a year now and they're not any more affordable. But that's very proprietary. There's more than yeah. one company that's capable of making VR. So I I do think over time it will become the norm, and especially in Valve's little shared universe of stuff like Half-Life and Portal. It'll yeah. definitely become the norm. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but it comes with a lot of caveats and and eyebrow raises that aren't so easily answered in the year 2022. I, I think that by the time Half-Life uh, 3 comes out, it's uh, because... The, the thing that's excited me the most about Alex, other than the fact that, you know, it's a really, really good VR game and basically is the game just that screams to people VR is the future, uh, is that um, Valve cares about Half-Life now again. Yeah, it's they remember they're, it. They're, they're, they're going to just the, just knowing for a fact they're going to make Half-Life three. It's like, oh, my God, I um, still I, I know it and I don't believe it. And, you know and, I, I mean? and I and I do I do think that by the time that that game comes out, uh, VR is going to be in a very different place, uh, and I, hopefully it will be more accessible to people, so that mm-hmm. whatever new technical leap uh, forward that uh, Half Life Three makes, uh, more people will be able to experience it. I'll be standing in line at the Metaverse GameStop with you to get it. <laughs> God no, please, please no. <laughs> It comes with an Al- uh, with a Half Life uh, Alex Funko Pop, a digital one. What's not to love? Is, is the metaverse even like a real thing? Yeah, like, is it is it something knows. you can? Is it like a game that you buy? Is it like what are they trying to put? Is it like a is it a free thing that you down? What is it? I am so happy to say I don't know. Anyway, we're getting off topic. I got two more questions. Uh, what do you think Valve is going to do next? Because they're about to launch the, the Steam Deck, which is basically their, I don't want to call it a Nintendo Switch competitor because they're two very different things. They're just in the sure, same yeah. form factor. It's a Switch computer. It's, it's basically like a, one of those, you know, handheld computer things that people have sold for a long time, but like Valve, so it's done really well. Yeah. What, what, what do you think is next on their radar? Well, they've, they've kind of, in a big way, they've been moving away from games for a bit. I mean, of course, they just put out Half-Life Alex, but before that... There was a bit of a draught on their end as they were transitioning away from making the games to being the Steam guys. Um, yeah, being just the the premier publisher for PC games. And now with like the Steam Index and the Steam Deck, they are also like edging in on the the proprietary physical 
console and dongle market. And um, I honestly can't predict what's going to happen next. I, I think I think there's a chance maybe they could be lining up. This is pure speculation. I haven't heard anything about this, but I like the idea of like a Steam Game Pass type thing. Um, having access to like some, you know, classic Valve titles, maybe some stuff that rotates on a, a monthly or something like that basis. I think, you know, with all of the the other services that are cropping up in that regard, it would be a smart move for Valve to do something like that. I do think that they are probably cooking up even more advancements for stuff like uh, VR and uh, the Steam Deck is, you know, probably one of the hottest items that's going to come out in the next couple of years. Um, all in all, it's very, very tricky to say what they're going to do next. Uh, I'm not anticipating Half-Life 3 anytime soon. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's cry. they're still they're still working on like Source 2. Like, yeah, they have a whole new game engine coming out. If I had to take a stab in the dark wild guess, I'd say maybe they have some other new physical component in development we don't know anything about yet outside of their own proprietary VR in the deck. Uh, I would love for them to completely surprise us with something completely out of left field, like a, a new Team Fortress, a new Left for Portal Dead. Portal 3. And just count to any three fucking count to any three and we and we'd be surprised and happy for, for, for them three, to make a three. major update to tf2 that'd be great Fuck, half-life 2 episode 3 i don't even give a shit if it was that that'd be great um anything ricochet 3 skip 2 uh i, I it's it that's a tough question to answer but i think their most likely thing could be a new physical development or uh, a game pass style subscription service for steam i think that would be really smart on their end it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting uh i do have one more question before we go of course uh how has half-life affected you how has it made you think about games differently well that's that's a really good question um like i've said a few times uh over the course of this half-life kind of proved that you don't have to lock yourself into one idea you think of something like Resident Evil, and yeah, it's a shooter, but it's it's survival horror, like cut and dry. That's what it is, right? Uh, Half-Life 2 is a shooter. It's survival horror. It's a puzzle game. It's an alien game. It's a soldier game. It's got a, a, it's a pizza with 12 different kinds of slices in the box, and all of them taste good. Uh, it, it In no short terms, that's just about the only way to phrase it. It, it, it proved you, you can be more than one thing, and that's really great. Because even, you know, fucking 24 years later from the release of this game, so many games are just one thing. Like, I don't mean to point fingers, but like Pokemon, like as a series, is so stagnant. It's the same thing over and over with a new gimmick every time. But there hasn't been a Pokemon game in a while that's drawn me. Uh, my girlfriend played a little bit of Arceus, I think, the new one, and it said it's fun. But it's not enough to make me go, yeah, I gotta fucking get that right now. Half-Life... um, it definitely left a mark, and I I personally think it's 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 not a perfect game. It's one of the best of all time. Its influence is felt far and wide, like a cinder block in the middle of a pond. Uh, every first person shooter you've played since '98, there's there's shades of Half Life to it. Um, I, I think that retroactively speaking, it's going to be remembered pretty highly. Two might get a little more limelight, but uh. It, it was it was so different and, and built on the the foundation that its ancestors of of Doom and Quake built for it. It built up on that so well that we're still talking about it a quarter of a century later, 
when most people just have it like hibernating in their Steam library because it was in a, a pack of the Valve Complete pack. A lot of people probably just pass right over it. Yeah, this game goes on sale all the goddamn time. Uh, buy it when you buy it. Just buy it. But play this game. Maybe a dollar, maybe two dollars for Half-Life. You don't even have to buy the expansion packs if you don't feel like it or source. Uh, you can you can play through this game in a couple of days, just chilling out and playing it. Uh, like I said, I've been playing it for maybe a week. I'm maybe halfway there on the hardest difficulty of just playing through in my free time. It's not a, a super time consumer. You're not going to dump 100 hours into Half-Life. I, I think I've. I've had these games on my computer for getting close to a decade. I've got 57 hours in Half-Life and uh, 24 hours in Half-Life Source. So, you know, I, I haven't spent all my time playing these games like I do with like New Vegas or Halo. But um, I've played it enough to where when I think about it, I could see it. I can hear it and I can feel the atmosphere. And there's not a lot of games you can take that away from. Um, we're just thinking about it puts you there. I think that it is a culmination of everything that came before it. And it is a, a beautiful specter of things to come that, uh, from the point of its release onward is the best way I can put it. Yeah. I think that, that that's a really great point. You, you summed it up really succinctly. It, it's, uh, it's the, it's the rare game that has both a history to ancestry and a defining legacy. Not a lot of games have that. And also, it's one of those big landmark games that doesn't feel like homework to play it. Oh, yeah. Despite it it's, being a science game. It's just really fun. Uh, go, 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 out, go outside and play it. Uh, yeah. So, Alex, this is we've reached the end of the program. This episode is kind of longer than I expected. It to be. Usually these episodes are about an hour long. That's what I shoot mm-hmm. for. But, uh, you know, there's just so much to talk about about this game. And it's us. Uh, We're on a tangent. It's us. We're going to take if you listen to Spidey Signals, you know, we tangent a lot. Our longest episode is almost four hours long. Uh, <laughs> go listen to that, too. <laughs> go, li- go listen to our almost four hour long episode about No Way Home. Uh, spoiler alert. Good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good. It's all right. Pretty good. Do you have any do you have any th- anything you want to plug or shout out or, you know, any last words you want to say before we close it out here? Not not currently anything I need to plug. Look out for an EP from my band Spleen sometime in the next year. Uh, outside Go follow of Alex on Twitter and Tumblr and stuff so you yeah, can keep I'm, up with his, his shenanigans. I'm Arthritic Jester on Twitter. I'm Crooked Hyphen Fingers on Tumblr. I, I'm just an internet man. I like goofs. I like music. Uh, nothing specifically to plug. Just, you know, we've always got something cooking. Uh, listen listen to our podcast, Spidey yeah. Signals. <laughs> yeah, there's two whole seasons of that. If you, if you like Spider-Man and you hate silence. 20, uh, 24 episodes, I think. We've, we've made a lot. Give or take, uh, yeah. But yeah, there's there's it's... content to be consumed, and uh, I'll, I'll be around to guest or co-host more shit with Lex in the future. I can guarantee you that. It's, it's, it's always a pleasure to, to be here with you, Alex, and work with you. Likewise. Uh, but yeah, that's our that's our show. Uh, thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to have a new guest on. It's my very good friend, Jordan, a.k.a. Koo Eater. And we're going to talk about the hit 2015 video game, Bloodborne. Uh, that is going to be a wild ride. This is the first game I had to play for the show. Uh, not the, the first game that I hadn't played yet. Uh, before I started doing the show and I have a lot to say and uh, the episode is actually going to come out after Elden Ring releases Ooh. Uh, but we're going to record it before 
So we will not have anything to say about Elden Ring. If you want to avoid spoilers for that, we won't have anything to say about that game yet because it won't even be out by the time we record it. Good stuff. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, stay responsible. Uh, bye-bye. Hello, Gordon.